Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. This is a special Friday edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. We are doing what we can to keep getting podcasts out to you here during the summer, even though schedules are weird and Y'all's schedules are weird, too, as well, but uh, maybe if you're going to the beach this weekend, like I am, you can uh, listen to this on your way. So, um, Patrick, glad to have you here. Appreciate you making time on a Friday. Absolutely. Always enjoy it. Right on, right on. Um, This is going to be a short one. Like I said, it's kind of a bonus podcast, and we're just going to talk real briefly about a couple of quick things that are in the news. Um, This weekend on Sunday, which will be the 21st, uh, July 21st, we're putting out the interview that we did with Jesse Turk and Thomas Odom about the race across America. Uh, Thomas was the cyclist, and Jesse was the crew chief in that successful effort uh, to get Thomas as a solo finisher of the race across America. Uh, And they had some fun things to say. Quick preview. What do you think they used when they needed to spread his toes because they didn't have a toe spreader? Oh, gosh. Um, I have no idea. Well, you'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) <laughs> all right, there we go. I have to say that's a problem I've never come across so, so, in life, so I've never even right, considered. Right. Yeah, I, I, well, I always have my toe spreader handy, so I've never had to worry about it. But, okay. um, but, but, yeah, with the cramping in his feet, they needed a toe spreader while he was sleeping. Of course, you know, he slept with toe spreaders on, um, but they didn't have a toe spreader. They improvised the resourceful crew that they were. You'll be interested to hear what they came up with. Um, but today we want to talk about a couple of quick things just around the news and kind of what's going on with the podcast um we had an interview just this past weekend with slay rx with the big crew at slay rx with harvey and kara and shri and chuck uh you listened to it what'd you think i loved it i thought it was just super fascinating i mean we you know you brought up them up to me and kind of said hey that you know, I've been talking with them about, you know, bringing them on the podcast and they're an interesting product. So, you know, I got to look into, you know, the content they have on their website and, you know, some of the other, you know, outlets that they've published on. But then he, actually getting to hear them speak about it, mm-hmm. I think really made it more interesting yeah. because I could hear kind of the passion that they have for the product and for the services. And I could also get a sense of, you know, how different it was, so mm-hmm. to speak, and yeah. that this was not, you know, um, just another you know, Gatorade or something like that. So I, I thought it was fascinating. I think that the most interesting part about Slayer is the fact that they actually try to address each individual person yeah. as an individual athlete. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just saying, here's kind of a blanket, um, one size fits all. Right, right. This is what we've noticed with athletes in events. And so we formulated this drink that's going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, they say, hey, let's check out what your individual issues are. Um, and let's uh, and let's prescribe a product or, or, or try and use a product that, that would be most uh, applicable for your situation. Um, I like that. I think that's cool. Yeah, and that's really kind of a theme for a lot of sports. Even team sports are getting more and more individualized yeah, um, yeah. in terms of how they approach each individual athlete or position group. So it's interesting to see it kind of continue to take shape um, in this form. Yeah, yeah. There was a book that came out a few years ago that was called The End of Average, um, and it's basically about how in every industry, um, specialization, personalization, individualization is becoming more the norm. Yeah. Um, that we've kind of come to this place where we realize that if you just average everybody together, rather than getting something that fits a lot of people, you get something that kind of fits nobody. 
Yeah. Um, and in education, which is, of course, the other field in which I work, um, it's uh, it's a big deal. It's called differentiation is the word that we use for it in education. Um, and and the ideal or the thing that we are trying to encourage teachers to do is to recognize the individual aspects and particularities of every child um, and effectively tailor lessons that that will work for all of them in some way or another, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way that you approach your students has to be different based upon what their individual needs are, what their individual cultural background is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, needless to say, that's that's the ideal. That's what we're aiming for. It's very difficult to do when you're talking about a secondary teacher that has 160 students. But one way or another, even in education, we're moving away from that one-size-fits-all approach. Um, yeah. um, and I think that's true throughout. So back to Slayer X, I, I, I like that they're saying, okay, we're going to make we're going to make something that's not just one size fits all accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's cool. I think that's great. Um, so we will, of course, like we said, we're going to be going to their labs and getting tested by them sometime over the course of the next couple of months here. Uh, once this summer schedule stabilizes a little bit, once we kind of get back into the fall and stuff like that. Uh, and so we'll be uh, with them back in your newsfeed again sometime over the course of the, uh, the the next couple of months. So definitely looking forward to that. Definitely looking forward to that. Um, let's talk about a little bit of news real quick here first in this uh, shortened Friday bonus podcast here. Did you see the new mile world record, Patrick? I sure did. So, very good. Um, Safan Hassan, um, who is a Dutch runner, uh, originally from Ethiopia. Uh, she moved to the Netherlands at age 15 in 2008 um, and uh, picked up running. Um, she trains with the Nike Oregon Project. And um, that, of course, means that Alberto Salazar, the controversial Alberto Salazar, is is her coach. But um, it was at the Monaco Diamond League meet just a couple weeks ago here. Um, they renamed the 1,500-meter race. They made it First of all, they made it into a mile race, which the mile, it's kind of a, a, a famous event, but it's not really competed all that much. Um, at the international level, they normally do 1500, uh, but they made it a mile race and then they call it the brave, like Gabe mile, um, after Gabe Grunewald, who we talked about just a couple of weeks ago here, um, who died recently of a rare form of cancer. Um, but, um, she ran 412, um, <laughs> and she, she, she broke the, uh, the world record in the mile by about, by about a half second. Um, and, uh, super impressive, uh, performance there by Safan Hassan. Um, what do you have to say? Uh, not too much, other than to say that it continues the theme where we continue to see a lot of women breaking a lot of records, even more so than the men, it seems like, on the track, as honestly, women get the same opportunities as the men. They continue to kind of become faster and faster at a quicker pace or a quicker clip in terms of their improvement levels. Um, but in terms of her individual performance, and that is just smoking, 412. Yeah. 412.33. Um, and the, the original record or the old record, I think, was uh, about 412.54, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she beat it by, you know, she snuck under it, basically. But, but I mean, that's, that's how records are broken. Records are very rarely ever crushed. Right. Um, it should also be noted, too, that, I mean, her she broke a record that's been around since 1996. So it's yeah. one of the longest held records yeah in you know women athletics as a whole not just in track and field right right yeah for sure um she did an impressive fashion um she negative split it and um and the field was running pretty close with her until the last 300 meters or so uh she shifted gears and she was suddenly by herself just literally running a completely separate race um so super impressive there um in addition to say about safan hassan just as a runner um she's really widely noted for her range 
Um, she has the ability to race, obviously, at a world-class level in the 1500, um, yeah. since she just set the mile world record. Um, but uh, she was the uh, the world junior cross-country champion back in 2013, um, and she uh, can run a world-class time in the, in the half marathon as well. Um, so over the course of the last few years, she's been a medalist in the 1500, the 3000, the 5000 um, at different European and, and world championships. And so... Um, it's, I think it's rare that you see a runner who, um, excels at a variety of, of distances. Um, you know, you see people change, especially at that level. Yeah. 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 Um, you see people change distances over time. You see them, okay, they get older. So they move from the 5,000 to 10,000 or something like that. But, but it's rare that you actually see somebody, um, go out one weekend and run a great 1500 and go out two or three weeks later and run a great half marathon. Um, and, and she's definitely doing that here at age roughly 26, we think. Uh, she was a refugee, so, so her exact birth date's not totally known. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, um, super impressive. Congrats to her. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece of news we'll talk about here on this quick Friday bonus is... Tour de France. The Tour de France. And in fact, in fact, the Tour de France is probably the main reason why we decided to record this bonus episode. Because you'll recall that we talked about the Tour de France a couple of weeks ago when it was just about to start. Um, and, and today, Friday the 19th, um, was stage 13. And by the time that Patrick and I are back together in the same room recording again, the tour will be over. And so if we didn't have this special bonus friday episode here coming halfway through the tour to talk to you that would have meant that we literally would have talked about the tour de france before the tour started and then after the tour is over and that just won't do (laughs) no too big of an event too many people watching that's right i mean i literally look forward to july all year long for a variety of reasons but the primary one is the tour de france um and uh and and yeah we can't go let let this opportunity pass so um yeah but today was uh today was stage 13 um and it's been a fantastic uh uh, tour so far Uh, today was an individual time trial stage um and i won't give away too much even though i imagine that almost the hardcore tour fans that would be upset about spoilers are probably have watched it by now Um, but i will say that this was the first stage stage 13 in which there was a repeat winner um, and so in the first 12 stages of the race, they had 12 different winners of the stage, which is pretty cool to watch. Um, and so normally you'll have one person will win two or three stages, and another person might win two or three stages or something like that. Literally a different winner of the stage every single day. Um, and that's been, that's been pretty fun to watch. That's been kind of interesting. What's more is that in the past the tour has been kind of all or nothing. They would have these sort of flat, boring stages that would end in a field sprint, and the sprinters would sprint, and usually be the same sprinter win every single time. Um, Or they would have these big, huge mountain stages. And this year, they decided that they've only had, in the first 12 stages, maybe one or two truly flat stages. Um, And most of them have been not mountainous stages, but difficult stages with lots of climbing and Mm -hmm. sort of like medium mountain stages and stuff like that. And that's really mixed it up and made for a much harder tour for the riders, certainly. Um, But it's made for a much more interesting tour to watch rather than these just kind of boring flat stages that all end in a field sprint where you can tune in the last, you know, five. 5k and see the whole race um, or these big huge mountain stages you have these kind of mid-range stages that have been a lot more interesting to watch um so yeah it's been cool it's been fun um, um how about the the patrick question of the day 
Yeah, I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, so right now you are wearing a shirt with an upside down <laughs> bib number from last year's Tour de France. It looks like it's the number 13 upside down. It says Craddock. So what is that all about? Yeah, good question. Good question. All right. So that's actually a really good question. Um, and it has like multiple uh, uh, ripples that we can actually talk about as well. So that's good. Uh, the number 13 today, of course, is stage 13, like we said. Um, but the number 13 throughout the world, throughout the Western world, at least, is considered to be an unlucky number uh-huh. right and so you go to hotels they don't have floor 13 and all that sort of thing right right um and so in bike racing they just jump to the 14th floor that's right they just they literally go 12 14 um and so so in bike racing if you're assigned number 13 what they what they'll commonly do the racer will do in order to i don't know thwart the demons of bad luck um well they'll pin their number on upside down and so it's kind of a tradition in cycling that if you get assigned number 13 for a race, you, you pin it upside down in order to avoid having the bad luck, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, last year there was an American rider, a guy named Lawson Craddock, um, was actually given number 13. And so he pinned it upside down just like everybody else does. Unlike most people, he actually really had bad luck. Uh, on literally the very first stage of the Tour de France, the very first stage of the three-week-long race, uh, the first 50 miles of the 3,000 miles they're going to be doing as part of this race, um, he crashes, 2,400 miles. Uh, he crashes. Um, and in that crash, he fractured his scapula, um, his shoulder blade. Um, so he broke a bone. Most people, when they break bones, they'll drop out. A guy named T.J. Van Garderen, who actually was on the same team as Lawson Craddock, uh, another American crashed earlier this week and broke his thumb, and so he dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy named Nicky Terpstra um, dropped out uh, yesterday the day before because he had a broken bone. Usually when you break something, um, you drop out. Yeah. Um, but he decided to stay in. He was like, well, you know, it's my shoulder blade, so I'm kind of able to manage and, and able to get by. So he stayed in the race. He was in last place after his big, huge crash on day one. And last place in the Tour de France is kind of a place of honor. It's called the Lantern Rouge, the Red Lantern. Um, and they get as many cheers as whoever finishes second and third. Not quite as many cheers as the person who finishes first, but right. as many cheers as the person who finishes second or third, right? So they're pretty popular because, of course, they're still one of the absolute best cyclists on the planet. <laughs> yeah, and there's also something to be said for, like, it's almost similar to like someone completing a marathon. Mm-hmm. You have to respect somebody who completes this event. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, he is the Lantern Rouge. And so he's getting a lot of attention for being the Lantern Rouge. But he continues on despite the fact that he has a fractured scapula um, from Houston, Texas. And, and he eventually, uh, after a couple stages, puts out on, on his social media, all right, for every stage that I finish... I'm going to donate $500 to the local velodrome in Houston where I've done a lot of riding and where I developed as a cyclist to um, to help rebuild it after Hurricane Harvey because it was dam- damaged in Hurricane Harvey a couple years ago. Um, and so $500, $500, $500 for every stage he finishes. Now, Thomas and Jesse, when you hear their interview on Sunday, by the way, will talk about how motivating it is to ride for other people, and that's definitely what mm-hmm. Lawson Craddock here had in mind. But as you can imagine, the the challenge kind of goes viral, um, and, and he gets a lot of attention because he's soldiering on, despite the fact he has a broken shoulder blade. Yeah. And he's going over the mountains, he's doing individual time trials, and he's not, again, he's not fighting for the win here he's just barely hanging on right um and he ends up making it through the entire tour 
um, and ends up finishing on the Champs-Élysées at the end of stage 21, having raised thousands upon thousands of dollars for this local um, uh, velodrome where, where he cut his teeth as a cyclist, um, and he crosses the finish line with, with uh, a broken scapula. Mm-hmm. So the shirt I'm wearing... Um, um, was part of that effort, that sort of viral effort. Mellow Johnny's, which is a, a uh, bike shop in Austin, Texas, which is owned by Lance Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Mellow Johnny's because it's a play on the word Mayo Jean, which is the, the French word for yellow jersey, um, which is what the leader in the Tour de France gets to wear. Yeah. Um, so Mellow Johnny's put out this T-shirt as part of that fundraising and said we're going to donate 100% of the proceeds from those T-shirts to... to Lost in Craddock's efforts to raise money for that velodrome in Houston. Um, so I bought a shirt. <laughs> there you go. So you contributed towards the cause. Absolutely. And and since today was stage 13 of the Tour de France, that seemed like a like an appropriate shirt to wear. To wear. It was also the 100th birthday of the yellow jersey today. So the Tour de France has been around longer than 100 years, but, but the yellow jersey has not been in every single Tour de France. Uh, today is literally the birthday of the yellow jersey. The first time the yellow jersey was worn was... Uh, July nineteenth of two thousand or of nineteen nineteen, yeah. Okay. Um, a couple other kind of quick things I'll tell you about it. One, those of you who are in local to the Atlanta area, you might have seen that there's an Atlanta native that's uh, riding in the tour. He rode pretty well today, as a matter of fact. A guy named Joey Roscoff. Um, he's from Decatur, went to Decatur High School. Um, I actually used to race against him a little bit when I was a bike racer, like seven or eight years ago, um, when he was, you know, a teenager. Um, and then he kind of made a name for himself and then was on some regional teams. And then now is, is at the highest level. He's on a world tour team. He's on CCC, um, which is a a pretty well-known team. Um, and it's competing in the Tour de France. So he was added to their team and, um, it's not a spoiler to say he finished 10th in the individual time trial today. Um, and so has a now a top 10 finish, um, in a Tour de France time trial stage on his Palmares. Um, so pretty impressive there. Um, one other guy, a couple other guys I'll tell you about too. Uh, the stage winner yesterday was a guy named, uh, Sean Yates. Okay. Um, Sean Yates has an identical twin brother who is also in the race named Adam Yates. Um, and of course I'm partial to them because they're identical twins. Um, but they were also born on my 18th birthday. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so they're, they're, and, and I mean, you have twins yourself, so you're right. already kind of that's right. drawn to, to twins in terms Absolutely. of kind of the unique challenges and opportunities that they have growing up and just kind of throughout life. Mm-hmm. And then he's born on your 18th birthday, or yeah. they are born on your 18th they birthday. Are, yes. August 7th, 1992. So I was graduated from high school and then celebrated my 18th birthday, and that's the day that they were born. Uh, a couple of British riders. Um, they're actually, they're, so they're super good. They both have won the the white jersey at the Tour de France before, which goes to the best young rider, the, the highest finisher under the age of 25. Um, Simon Yates won the Tour of Spain last year, the Volta a España. Um, and then Adam Yates is the protected rider. He's the designated leader for the Mitchelton Scott team this year. Um, they're both on the same team. Um, and so Simon is trying to help Adam win. That's his primary role there. But um, Simon went into a breakaway yesterday, and he was able to win there at the end. So I was certainly happy to see that. I also actually am, am, am partial to them as well. Um, the reason why they got into cycling is because their dad was a cyclist, and he got run over by a car. 
um, and while he was um, while he was re- rehabilitating, he took them to the track just to you know to, to visit some friends and hang out and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they actually saw track cycling and got into track cycling. And he supported that because he's like, okay, that's cool. You can be a track cyclist as long as you're not a road cyclist because I don't want you to get run over by a car. Right. But then they became world champions. Literally, they became world champions on the track. And the money in cycling is is on the road, just like right. in running. Right, um, and so they they ultimately moved over to to being road cyclists, um, and so yeah, and but they're super successful and identical twins and all that sort of thing. I do think it would be fun. You tell me what you think about this. We should appreciate the fact that they, as identical twins, like have outed themselves as identical twins, because imagine like some nefarious plot that could have been hatched like seven or eight years ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that that we would have said, all right. We have these two guys that look exactly the same. They have the exact same DNA, right? And and one of them could ride like stage one and two. The other one could ride like stage three and four. Mm-hmm. The other one could ride like stage four and five, right? You could even like do it during a stage. Like you even have one of them doping and then one of them take the test. Exactly, exactly. Even better. Well, you know, not better, but you know what I mean. Yeah, more <laughs> nefarious, shall we say. Yeah, exactly. More, worse, evil. <laughs> um, but, um, but you could even have like one of them rides the flat part of the stage and then goes over the first mountain. And then when the second mountain comes along, he could like drop back to the car and the other one could like sneak out of the car and hop onto the bike and nobody <laughs> would be the wiser. Right. But that's not the way they're playing it. They're, they're, they're being straight up. They're being honest with us. And, and two identical twins there um, doing well in the Tour de France, which is something that I enjoy seeing. British guys on an Australian team. Um, all right, man. What else? Uh, yeah. And tell me about the uh, cyclist you mentioned last week or last uh, podcast. Michael Woods. The Canadian pro cyclist Michael Woods, who ran a sub four minute miler as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And then transitioned to cycling and is now riding in the Tour de France. So right how's on. he doing? Uh, he's doing okay. Here, here's what's sort of fun is that that yeah, I like to see how he does, but then watching the American broadcasts of that, they actually talk about him fairly regularly because he's a Canadian guy and they know, and he's on an American team, and so they know we're going to be interested in how he's doing. <laughs> yeah, and so so he actually gets more attention, and so so he's he's been a little bit easier to follow along with what's going on with with him. Um, he's doing all right, basically. Um, the uh, the the he had a real heavy crash over the course of the last couple of days, and I think that's probably slowed him down a little bit. Um, most people have said that today, stage 13, is kind of the real start of the tour, um, at least in terms of who's going to finish high in the overall. So today was the individual time trial. Tomorrow is a mountaintop finish on top of the Col de Tourmalet, which is one of the storied climbs inside of the Tour de France. Um, and so... Uh, I haven't seen yet how he did during the, the the time trial today. We'll see how he does tomorrow on the uh, on on the the, the mountaintop finish, um, and then has another day in the Alps on uh, on uh, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I said, a lot of people kind of consider this to be the real start as they're kind of getting down to the mountain. This is where the real time gaps are going to begin between the people who are actually looking to win the the overall race um, to win the tour itself. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'll keep you posted. Sounds good. <laughs> right on, man. Right on. Well, all right, everybody. Like we said, this is going to be a quick one where we just wanted to update you on a couple of the quick things. Just wanted to talk real quickly about Slayer X, debrief that. Wanted to talk about Safan Hassan. And, of course, wanted to update everybody on the cool happenings over at the Tour de France. Patrick, any final words? 
No, looking forward to hearing or seeing how the Tour de France turns out. Right on, man. Well said. Uh, make sure you join us on Sunday for our interview with Jesse and Thomas, and then next week when we're going to talk a little bit more about training the heat. Thanks again, everybody. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, by Blue Pineapple Travel, and by SlayRx. If you want to reach out to me, you can always find me, George, at ITOcoaching.com. If you want to reach out to Patrick, it's Patrick at ITOcoaching.com. Or you can send us a podcast email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. If you want to find ITO Coaching and Performance, they're at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. If you want to find Blue Pineapple Travel for all your travel needs, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. See all the incredible places where folks are traveling thanks to Blue Pineapple Travel. And, of course, our newest sponsor, SlayRx. You can find them at SlayRx.com, at Facebook.com slash SlayRx, or on Instagram at Instagram.com, here for, the number four, here for SlayRx. Don't forget the discount code as well, Pleasant2019. That'll get you 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.